Thanks, team. So before I get started, let's have a little fun. I know we've had a time of greeting and saying hello. I want you to do something for me. Go to your neighbor next to you across the way. Two words. And fist bumps are appropriate. Say, you rock. All right? Everyone stand up. Come on. You rock. So I've you know, been sitting there when people have done that in groups or in church. I always think it's kind of silly. I wondered if it felt different when I was up here. It, it, it doesn't. <clears throat> so have you ever watched a really good movie, and afterwards you turn off the movie or you leave the theater and you think to yourself, I wish there was more. Wouldn't it be great if that story or that character continued? There's more to the story. Or maybe you read a book and had the same experience and you want to know, is there more of that book? Then several months later, or even years later, you find out that there's a sequel. Yay! You watch that movie or book and you enjoy the story even more. And sometimes there are even more sequels after that. But eventually the storyline comes to a point where it's logical to end it. But if it's a really good story, the movie makers or authors will make a prequel. A prequel tells the background story, adds to the original story, adds depth and meaning to the story. <clears throat> it might be interesting to note, prequel is a relatively new word in our language. 60, 70 years old at most. I think most people didn't know what a prequel was until Star Wars. Star Wars was released as three movies called Episode 4, 5, and 6 right from the start. Then they went back and made prequels, and we all learned what a prequel was. I tell you that because today is a little bit like that. It'll be a prequel to some of the recent messages. So a few weeks ago, can't remember quite how many, Marcus spoke about the conversation that took place between Jesus and his disciples. And he asked those disciples, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied to Peter, and he said this, and this is in Matthew 16, 15, he said, you are Peter, little stone. And on this rock, in dedicating himself as a foundation stone, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that was the message that, message that Marcus brought to us. Then last week, Jason Cabra spoke from 1 Peter chapter 2. And this was a bit of a sequel to what Marcus had spoken about. And in that passage, Peter speaks to the church, and he says, and you yourselves, like living stones, are being built to a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
And then in verse 6 of that same passage, he quotes back to Isaiah and says, Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a chief cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You can see how these two passages tie together so beautifully. Jesus is building his church with himself as the foundation, as the cornerstone chosen and precious. It is that foundation and that foundation alone that ensures that the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. So a little side note here. There's another word that's relatively new to our English language. That's rerun. I mention this because I became aware this week as I was preparing for today that the ladies' Tuesday morning Bible study also heard a lesson from 1 Peter chapter 2. And it talked about living stones. Now, two things about that. One, I know that repetition helps us learn. Two, I'm not a big fan of coincidence. Right? So first, let's, let's cover the prequel part of our morning. I want to take some time to talk about rocks. In the passage that Jason read this morning, which I did not know he was going to read, it began with God, the rock of our salvation. Specifically, the rocks I want to talk about <clears throat> are this. There are several times in Scripture where specific rocks or stones are discussed and even named. Some of them you may remember. Some of them are a bit more obscure, a little bit less well-known. As you look through biblical times, there are many places where a stone is raised up or a heap of stones is created to mark or commemorate a specific event or a significant event. It was the custom and common practice of the, of the day. They didn't have billboards. So it kind of made sense. You may have heard the term stone of remembrance, which is probably an accurate description of the, most of the cases that we see. But sometimes these stones bear witness to a contract or to an agreement that was made. And sometimes they serve as a warning. This morning I want to look at a few examples of what a stone of remembrance is and then consider these examples that I choose together. So let's begin in Genesis chapter 28, going back quite a ways, and we'll start in verse 10. And this is an account where, where God visits Jacob in a dream and establishes his covenant with him. He's already talked to Abraham and had a covenant with him. He's had, talked to Isaac and had a covenant with him. Now it's Jacob. So let's begin in verse 10. I think we have it up there. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down for a place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give 
to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread across the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. Behold, I am with you. I'm oh, sorry. <clears throat> then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, or Bethel. We'll go with Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. That's the location where they were at. Then Jacob, Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will, give me, and will <clears throat> keep me in this way that I go, and will give to me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So there's, there's so many things in this passage that we could discuss and learn from and dissect. And I just want to note a couple of things for today. First, this is a pretty significant event. I kind of expected the stone to be big. It's not. I was expecting maybe some 20-foot monolith that got put up, but it's not. It's fairly small. In fact, Jacob used it as a headrest as he slept. Not a backrest even, just a headrest. So we're small. <clears throat> I imagine the stone that he placed was maybe up on top of a pile, so it would have some prominence and other people would see it. But that's just my guess here. It seems kind of reasonable. I don't know. In any event, the size isn't terribly significant. It's the, it's the event of raising up this stone that we want to focus on. It just helps me to picture things a little bit. The second thing to note is the name. Bethel means house of God. I love Jacob's words when he wakes up. How awesome is this place? You can feel the sense of excitement or the sense of being overwhelmed. There's a joyful excitement. The Lord is here. So after Jacob departed from Bethel, he went north to a region called Padan Aram. If you look at a map, Padan Aram is actually up in northern Syria. It's quite a ways. This is where Jacob's uncle Laban lived. He stayed there for several years, long enough to gain two wives and 11 sons, plus a considerable amount of wealth. After this time, God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel. So let's go to Genesis chapter 35, and we'll start reading at verse 9. This is the second time that he's been to Bethel. God appeared again to Jacob when he came from Padad Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall you be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. 
So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him, God went up from him in the place where he had spoken to him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken to him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering, and he poured out oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken to him, Bethel. So here we have a second time that Jacob has been visited personally by God in Bethel. The first time, God established his covenant. The second time, he reaffirmed that covenant. And he also reaffirmed the fact that he had changed his name from Jacob to Israel. If you remember, it was a couple chapters back when Jacob wrestled with God was when he changed his name. So this is a time of affirmation. Jacob also reaffirms that the name of this place is Bethel, the house of God. And on both occasions, he stood up a pillar, a stone of remembrance, as a testament. So that's Bethel. Let's jump ahead to another example. Many years later, this is a time when Samuel was judging in Israel. Samuel had called all of Israel to Mizpah, it was a time of repentance and turning away, <clears throat> turning away from foreign gods. This event is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 7. The first part of that chapter covers a, a bit of detail about that repentance time and what Israel was going through. <clears throat> Samuel had prayed for this people, and the people repented and fasted, and then the Philistines came. So let's begin reading in verse 7. Of 1 Samuel chapter 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people, heard, people of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people, said to, people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to crowd to the Lord, for, to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But, and this is the cool part, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth -car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not enter again into the territory of Israel, and the hand of God was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. So here in this count, we have a standing stone that's given a name, and it's Ebenezer, the stone of help. I like to think this one was a larger stone. 
Though we have nothing to confirm that, so again, it's just in my head. I'm so glad Matt was able to include the hymn, Come Thou Fount, in the songs that we sung today. How many of us sing that song and come to the phrase, I raise my Ebenezer, without remembering or even knowing of this event? Most of us think Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge. Look at what happened in this battle. There's a lot to learn here. The people cried out to God, and then the Philistines drew near to attack Israel, and the Lord thundered with a mighty sound against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. God won the battle for them. He saved them. The men of Israel only chased down the guys who were already running away. The people cried out to God. They sacrificed, they fasted, they prayed. They relied on God completely. And God defeated the enemy. The battle was his, the victory was his, the glory was his. We see the same principle throughout Scripture when we follow the history of Israel. When God promises, he delivers. Think back to when Joshua was preparing for the first battle at Jericho after crossing the Jordan. God had promised the land to Israel. He had brought them there. Joshua approaches Jericho and sees a man standing before him with a drawn sword. Joshua is not sure who he is. He says, are you for us or against us? The man replies, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And soon after, Jericho falls. If you remember the battle, kind of similar situation. They walk around for a while. The walls fall out. And what does Israel do at that point? Cleanup operations. The battle was already won. So I may be getting a little off track here, trying to talk about the stones, but we could spend a few days, even weeks, studying the fights and the battles where God delivers his people, because that's what God desires to do for his people. But this is what I remember when I hear the name of that stone, Ebenezer. The author of this song, Come Thou Fount, provides us a chance to personalize this. I raise my Ebenezer. It's an opportunity to remember and reflect on what God has done in our lives. And for those, and in the lives of those around us. And then to bear witness to that event. One more example I'd like to look at today, where stones are stood up for remembrance. Let's go back to um, a bit when God brings his people into the promised land. Joshua chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. 
And then in the interest of saving time, we'll jump down to verse 19. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Israel for you to pass over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So there's a few things to draw attention to out of this passage. First, this is the first and I think only case where stones of remembrance are called for with a specific number of stones, in this case, 12. Joshua calls for 12 stones to be selected and set up. Clearly, each stone represents a tribe. I think this helps make it more personal and tangible for the people of Israel. The second thing is that Joshua is very deliberate about the fact that the stones are there as a reminder, as an opportunity for people to instruct their children about the things that God has done. Imagine you lived back then, And after several years, you've settled into your inheritance, and you take a trip with your children back to Gilgal. Your children see the stones, and they ask you what they they mean, and you're able to tell them. Then you can point to a particular stone and say, that one, that's our tribe. That's us. This is what God did for us. Now they can personalize it and understand what God has done for them. And the last thing we'll note is that these stones were placed there so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. So again, just like Ebenezer, the Lord did a great thing. The people didn't do it. God did it. And the praise and glory are his alone. These stones stand as a testimony to the people of the earth of God's might and glory, not just Israel. They're for the whole earth to see. So today we've looked at just four examples of standing stones or stones of remembrance. Okay, technically three. We, were, we visited Bethel twice. There's many more examples in Scripture. They're all over the place. We could easily spend several weeks going through an exhaustive study of this topic. In fact, we could easily spend a couple of weeks digging further into these three examples. There's a lot of, a lot of information there. But I, I really only touched kind of surface on, on these three examples. <clears throat> In the time we have left, I walked, like to walk through a couple of examples or a couple of observations or principles that stand out to me as significant here. The first is the challenge to remember Okay, so that may sound a bit obvious, simplistic, but let's be honest. We as humans are prone to forget. Some of us can't even remember what we had for breakfast. Read through the history of Israel. 
And you'll find over and over again where they have forgotten what God said. These standing stones serve as a visible reminder of the unique times when God stepped into the lives of people, sometimes to establish relationship or covenant, sometimes to deliver his people, sometimes to show his might and power, sometimes to guide and direct, and sometimes to deliver judgment or warning. There's examples of all of those. I love Joshua's words after setting up the 12 stones at Gilgal. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, he intended for the message to pass through the generations. He was intentional about that. Joshua knew the law. Moses had read it aloud to the people just prior to the crossing of the Jordan. Go back to the beginning of the law in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 9. God begins a list of things they should do to help them remember the statutes. The list starts with, you shall teach them diligently to your children. But we don't have a tradition or practice among ourselves of creating these tangible monuments to help us remember the things of God, what he's done in our lives. Maybe we should. Maybe we should go out here on the quarter circle drive out here and create a heap of stones. Someone comes to faith in Jesus, set a stone out there. Remember that. God heals someone, take a stone out there. When God meets a need or delivers us from a difficult situation, remember that. I can envision this heap growing. I think eventually it might be a problem. It might be a little difficult to explain to the zoning authorities. But it's an idea. But then I thought about what Jason talked about from 1 Peter chapter 2, where we're reminded about living stones. So Peter writes in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, his first epistle. Let's go to verse 5. <clears throat> he writes that you yourselves are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. And Jason spoke last Sunday about Jesus being the chief cornerstone, the foundation of that spiritual house. Well, let's take another example from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. The Apostle Paul wrote something very, very similar, same concept. He writes, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Again, it's a structure that's being built. I should not wave this around. <clears throat> another example again from the Apostle Paul now in his letter to the Romans in verses 4 and 5 he uses a different picture but one that we're familiar with for as in one body we have many members and the members do not all have the same function so we though many are one body in Christ 
and individual members one of another. So I need to take a quick second here and bring y'all up to speed on something. I mentioned earlier that those of you who have participated in the ladies' Bible study this past week would be experiencing <clears throat> a bit of a rerun. And this is it. The Tuesday morning Bible study has been going through a study taught by Christy McClelland of LifeLight Ministries. In that study, which I think is fantastic, by the way, the teaching places a strong focus on the communal, communal or familial nature of how faith was practiced in the early church. Our faith is an individual decision, but its practice is intended to be as part of a family. And you see this throughout the New Testament. It's a powerful truth. And you can see it in the three passages that we just went through. Peter calls us living stones, built up as a spiritual house. Not houses, plural. One house, singular. Paul writes that you are God's temple. Again, not temples. Temple, singular. Interestingly, if you look in the footnotes of your Bible, you'll see a footnote that says that the word you in that verse is plural. He's writing to all of them and saying you're part of that temple. So technically, that means that an accurate scholarly translation of this verse would read, y'all are God's temple. And in that last passage, Paul uses the picture of one body having many members. The members have different functions, but we are one body, members one of another. The spiritual house and the temple referred to in these passages clearly have Jesus as the foundation. He's that chief cornerstone, chosen and precious. A stone that's not resting on this, on this foundation is not a part of the same structure. But one that is resting on that same foundation has a purpose. It shares the load. It supports the neighboring stones, making the entire structure stronger. Each stone, each one, has a crucial role. Similarly, Jesus is the head of the body. A body that is not connected is not part of the same body, or a body part that's not connected. It's not part of that body. But one that is connected has a purpose and a function, which aids the rest of the body, making it stronger and better able to fulfill his purpose. It bears repeating. Our faith is an individual decision but its practice is intended to be part of a family. When we started today, you'll remember I had you all tell each other, you rock. Yeah, I was being silly. I was having a little fun. But I hope you realize now there's a bit of purpose in what I did there. Your brothers and sisters are sitting here today. And you are the living stones that we've been talking about. They are the stones of remembrance that we need 
to help us remain faithful to our Lord. We need them for that purpose. They are the stones of witness and testimony that show us God's grace, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness. We are all together being built up as a spiritual house, as God's temple, as one body where he is the head. The first place in Scripture that we read about, or actually the first place in Scripture that we hear about standing stones, the first example that we have, the stone of remembrance, is with Jacob. That's what we read today. It's where he encounters God and God God enters into a covenant with him. It's no coincidence that Jacob stands up a stone or a pillar and names that place Bethel, the house of God. When I look around here today, I look around at uh, all this. This is Grace Chapel. When I look at all of you, and I look around today at all of you, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. Oh, I know we're not perfect. In fact, Peter said, we are being built into a spiritual house. But it's, my, but it's my prayer that when someone walks in the door, they will say like Jacob, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. This place, this, how awesome is this place? So as Matt and the worship team come up again, we've talked about a lot of things today, and, and we talked about that foundation where Jesus is the foundation that the spiritual house is built upon, that the temple is built upon. He is the head of the body. Most of us here today have a relationship with Jesus, and we know that. If you don't, if you're not sure what I'm talking about when I say all this, I invite you, please see me. Come talk to me. I'd be glad to share with you and help you. It would be my privilege. I'm not going anywhere. I have time. And there's others that you could talk to as well. Marcus, who spoke a little while ago. Jason's up here. If you can get Matt's guitar out of his hand, you can talk to him. But it's important that we begin with that foundation. So if you need to talk to someone, please 